Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Ladies and gentlemen, Spurs fans around the world, Theo Delaney here uh, with another Spurs show and a very special one. Uh, joining me tonight, Jerry Cox is back. Hello, Jerry. Nice to be, nice to be back. And our special guest, a man who played 84 times for Tottenham Hotspur, scored 10 goals. He played for a lot of clubs, but none more than he played for Spurs. Ladies and gentlemen, here at the Albany in the West End, please welcome Jerry Armstrong. Yay! Welcome, Jerry. Thanks very much, Theo. It's lovely to see you. You've got a new book out, I understand. I have. They've gone. I only brought half a dozen. Didn't know there was going to be that many people They're here. So, it's, it's, it's an amazing turnout. You could have shifted a whole crate full of them. You must well, be gutted. I'm, I'm trying to get them into the club <laughs> shop. I'll try and get down to the club and do one. Yeah, do. Um, haven't been to the new stadium yet. Haven't been. Oh, um, really? No, haven't been. Um, lived in Spain for too long. Came back and living in Northern Ireland now. But um, Pat Jennings is never off the phone trying to get me over. And a lot of the lads. So I keep in touch with most of them. But... Whereabouts are you in Northern Ireland? I'm living up near Antrim, just outside Belfast, close to the airport. Uh -huh. I've been living up there for a couple of years. And yeah. um, haven't, I moved in 1975 uh, from Belfast to Tottenham. And um, it was a crazy one because I was playing for a club called Bangor at the time. And I'd only been playing soccer about three years. Never, yeah. I was playing Gaelic football in Hurling before that. And... Um, it was one of those where there was a lot of clubs following me and Arsenal were the team that were really putting the screws on. But, yeah. but I, I know, and it was... I, the funny thing was, the manager at Tottenham at the time was Terry Neal. But, but Terry Neal's family all came from Bangor, the club I played for. Right. And um, I got an invitation about four or five weeks before, six weeks before the, 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 I signed the contract um, to go to Spurs with a boy called Johnny Jamison. And we went over on trial for four or five days, kept it really hush-hush. Um, I played against the R R RAF um, uh, somewhere, somewhere in London it was, uh, Hendon or wherever, and mm -hmm. we beat them 3-0, I scored a couple of goals, and then I trained with the first team and trained with the reserves, and that was it, and everything was okay. Never heard anything for a month and thought wasn't going to happen, but Arsenal were really putting the, the screws on, mm -hmm. and they wanted to sign me, and... Um, Bertie Mee was the manager and he was, they were in Europe at the time and he couldn't get to speak to me. And anyway, it was, the funny thing was I played senior Gillick football. I don't know if you know about Gillick football. Gillick football is like an amateur sport, but I was playing at the highest level from when I was 17. And uh, on the Sunday, I played on the Saturday, I played for Bangor in a football match. And then on the Sunday, I would play two matches. I'd play at two o'clock, I'd play a Gillick match. And then at four o'clock, I'd play another Gillick match. Yeah. Because of my age, I could play for under 21s and then play for the seniors. And it didn't matter, it didn't matter how many games, I just kept playing, you know. And um, I had a game on the Sunday and I got a phone call from the chairman of Bangor Football Club to say, meet me at the back of the city hall. He said, uh, we're signing the contract today, you're signing the contract. And we're going to the Donaudry Inn Hotel to sign it. And I went, right, I said, well, I have a game at two o'clock. He said, forget about that. He said, you're, 
you're up, you're going, you're going to be signing today. But he, I never asked him because I thought, hang on a minute, is it Arsenal or is it Spurs? I don't <laughs> yeah. know. So anyway, I got there and I, ha- I was in two minds. I didn't know what was going on. And when I got to the hotel and went in, there was Terry Neal waiting for me. He says, right, big man, come on over here and sign this contract. And that was how it was done. Wow. 1975 and uh, had five great years of Spurs. And you were 21? I was just turned, just turned 21. So you, and you'd been playing more Gaelic football than soccer at that point? Played Gaelic football from was about five or six and hurling. Um, the highest accolade you can get in Gaelic football is playing in All-Ireland finals. And I got the, I got to two. Wow. Ulster finals and two under-21 semi-finals. And then um, one of my last games for Antrim was against Kerry, who went on and won six or seven All-Ireland titles and played against a really famous team. But I was a really good Gaelic player. Yeah, you must have been. uh, You could punch people. It was great. (laughs) It was right up my street. You could hit people. You would never get sent off um, unless you did something really bad, which I did. And... uh, what, you, so you did do something Yeah, I was 17, and that was my break into soccer because I was 16, 17 at the time, and I was playing in a minor final, and I also played for Antrim Senior and under 21. So I was playing in the minor final first, and straight after it, I was going to play for Antrim in an international senior match, and um, I got sent off. I had a, been in a fight on a Friday night before that and broke my uh, knuckle, broke that knuckle in two places. So I had to go to the hospital and they put a plaster cast on it, but I kept the three fingers out so they could catch the ball. <laughs> right. And um, <laughs> and anyway, I put a glove over it because said, you'll never be allowed to play if they see you have a plaster cast on. So it was a short plaster cast and I, I basically, and it had a metal strip that supported. And I put the glove over the top and I was playing and these two boys were a wee bit tasty. They were kicking shit out of everybody. So... Um, I went in and had a bit of a go with the two of them and one of them caught me and I landed badly and I got up and just instinctively threw the left hook. Broke his jaw in two places. So <laughs> it was six weeks suspension. And as a result of that, I was able to then go and start playing soccer. And that's what Blimey, I so Gaelic football's loss was football's game was, and in particular was. Tottenham Hotspur's game because without that twist of fate, it might not have, never have happened. I know. What you're saying about my, my career, records there for Spurs and 84 games I played and yeah. uh, scored 10 goals. But... What people don't realise, most of the games I played for Spurs, if you watched me play, I was playing centre-half. Keith, yeah. Keith really thought I was the best centre-half in the club because I was really quick and strong and I would never pull out of a challenge and I would win headers. And Stevie Perryman loved playing alongside me, so I'd go and win the ball and Stevie would sweep up behind me in those days yeah. before we'd signed the likes of John Lacey and before, and before Paul Miller had come in on the scene, you know. So And then Keith Oscood went and Willie Young went, uh, but... I don't know. I, I played against, um, Keith said, right, and he used to say to me, okay, big man, he said, uh, we're playing West Bromwich Albion away. Cyril Regis, really strong, really quick. He said, I need you to play centre-half. I said, I don't want to play centre-half. I don't want to play up front. <laughs> and I was playing up front for Northern Ireland yeah. and scoring goals. Yeah. But it didn't matter. Keith just thought, no, you're playing for us centre-half. So we went up to West Brom and I played really well against Big Cyril and we beat them 1-0. I think Peter... Taylor scored the winning goal and then we came back and um, you know he said you're the best centre half in the club you're staying wow. it went on for ages and the, the big one was we were playing in the second division Stoke City away and John Duncan was the, the main striker at the time and John had got injured so um, he was out and I played up front with Ian, Ian Moores and I played up yeah. front and we beat them 3-1 I scored two goals and Dennis Smith was the centre half and he was a bit rough 
yes. I have to say. But yes. I, I, the rougher the better it was for me, you know. Yeah. I couldn't, I just loved it. So me and Dennis <laughs> beat the shit out of each other, you know. Uh, but one of the goals I scored was from breaking away from the halfway line and running with the ball. I hit it from about 25 yards into the top corner. And that was our third goal to put us 3-1 up. And uh, we won that match. And I think we moved to second in the table because it was Bolton were having a real go at the time. They were a good side, big Sam. Allardyce was playing for them then, yeah. and we really, yeah, Peter yeah, Reed and also right, they're yeah. a good team, yeah. and uh, we were competing with them. And Brighton were having a go. There was quite yeah. a few sides in it, and Southampton was yeah. the other one. Yeah. And um, the following day on the Sunday, I had to go and join the international team, and we were playing, um, we were playing Belgium at Windsor Park in a World Cup qualifier, and I went joined the squad and um, played up front, and I scored the first goal for Spurs or for um, Northern Ireland against Belgium and in the second half I went pa- I went from my own half beat a couple of players went past the keeper and stuck him in the back of the net we went 2-0 up and we beat them 3-0 and I scored twice mm-hmm. so I came back on the Thursday and you wouldn't train on the Thursday Keith wouldn't you know, give you the day off mm. so Keith said hey flipping hell two for us at the weekend and two for Northern Ireland World Cup he says you've done you've had a great week yeah. I said yeah I'm looking forward to it and then on the Friday you go into train and I found out John Duncan was fit. Oh, no. So he was fit and I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. There yeah. was only one sub then, as you remember. Yeah. So I come in and I thought, well, if he doesn't pick me, I'm going to be sitting on the bench, which I didn't. I was on the bench far too many times. So anyway, I come in and I looked at the team and the squad and I wasn't in the team and I wasn't on the bench. And I thought, Nine. shit. So the other door, I turned to the other door and Peter Shreves was the reserve team manager. And he said, um, I looked at the other door and we were playing Bristol City away. Tottenham were playing Bristol City away. Number five, Jerry Armstrong. I was centre half for the reserves after the, the two. Yeah. yeah. So I went in to see Keith, wasn't happy. And he said, look, I, I want you as a centre half. So I said to Shrevesy, I'm not happy about it, Shrevesy. And he said, look, I understand where you're coming from. He says, but I need you to do a job for me. I said, I'll, I'll do the job. No problem. You know, I'll do that. So I went and played centre half. And we went 1-0 down 20 minutes into the second half. And I said, Shrevesy. Get me up front. Yeah. So he got me up front and I came in, back post, bang, 1-1. One, one. And that was the equaliser. So Fifth goal again. of the week. It was crazy. It was just crazy. But that was what was going on. I right. played a lot of games at right back. I played a lot of games at right back. Right. Played a lot of games in midfield. Played a lot of games at centre half. But I just wanted to play up front. So that what was, was it about? Because before that, when you played in Northern Ireland, they bought you as a striker because you'd only ever played up front. Right? Yes, that's right. So all of this idea of you being able to play in all these different positions, that obviously wasn't coming from you. No. Keith just saw in something in you because you were all action. I was. I was Let's a- call it rugged. Yeah. We'll call it rugged. <laughs> You could play anywhere, do a job, well, that and was be a, quite formidable. I thought that was an advantage at the start, yeah. but it became a disadvantage yeah, because, always you up. know, then it was easy to put me on the bench because yeah. you could play me, Perfect you could throw me anywhere, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, and I didn't like that. And then it actually happened again when I went to Watford, funny right, enough, right. you know, I had exactly the same. So what was it like when you came, so you're 21, uh... Uh, when it, when you first came over to suddenly live in London, had you been over much? Never been that? to London before. Wow. So no. what did you make of it? Um, I was staying up in the Fil- Finsbury Park in the hotel and yeah. Alfie Kahn was in the same hotel as me. Great. And I was not comfortable in the hotel. Right. And I, I went and seen Terry Neal after about 10 days and said, Terry, I don't like living in a hotel. It's so impersonal and it was boring, you know? Yeah. And he said, go in and take a show in and go and see us. And Alfie Kahn was going into London to, for wee nightclubs and for parties and stuff. And yeah. he was going, I'd 
no interest. You know? Really? No, because I just, you because I just, you, it just I, wasn't what you'd ever no, done. I just play. I wanted to play football and I wanted to train. So yeah. even then, when I signed, uh, I trained with the first team in the morning, but I go in with the reserves in the afternoon. So you could just train yeah, some more. Yeah, I trained. Shrevesy took me into the gym, and um, that's when I got to see these sixteen and seventeen year olds. One of them called Glenn Hoddle. Right. And um, that was the first introduction. And yeah. Glenn was a classic. You know, he was very elegant on the ball, left yeah. foot, right foot, and we were doing the skills in the concrete gym and we had a ball each and he said okay lads he said um, this is the skill and we had a wall in front and it had big circles one meter circles on the wall about seven eight nine feet up and at that end was a, a goal and at that end was a goal so it was a big big gymnasium and he said um, Glenn I want you to chip the ball into the circle he said and before it hits the ground you've got to chest control it and then you can shoot with your left foot into the goal, or if you want to use your right foot, you can shoot in that goal. And he said, well, which foot do you want me to use, Pete? And I thought, he's fucking taking the piss. Because <laughs> I'd never seen him do this before. So he said, it's up to you, Glenn. He says, whatever you want. He says, I'll chip it with my right foot, and I'll, I'll shoot with my left foot. And I went, oh, I want to see this. So he chipped it with his right foot. It hit the center of the circle perfectly in the right pace. It's come out. Glenn had this class. He, he sort of turned his body and shaped it so that it hit his chest there, and he set it up. And then he hit it on the volley, yeah. right in the top left-hand corner. God. I went, shit. <laughs> and Shreve, said, there's the skill, follow that. I went, oh, you can't follow that. <laughs> and that was the sort of thing. And that was when I had my first introduction to Glenn Hoddle, wow. which was amazing. Yeah. And then the, the other thing was, uh, there was a little Scotsman called Neil McNabb, yeah. the skills he had. Yeah. He could keep a ball up all day long. He could do everything with it. So there was some talent there. And yeah. um, eventually I wasn't happy in the hotel, so I got... Terry Neal to move me out of the hotel and he put me in the digs above Tesco's uh, with Mrs. Walker in Edmonton and I was in the same digs as uh, Chris McGrath Right. but Chris was very quiet he never talked to anybody he used to sit there and, and uh, he would sort of be in a I don't know he was in some sort of a deep sleep or something you know he <laughs> He just was in his own his own mood and, and he was not chatty or talkative yeah. and, and uh, it was like I may as well have been there on my own, you know. Yeah. But it was good that I was in with a family. They were a lovely family. The, okay. You know, and, the Walker family. And did the players eventually get you into the idea of going out and having a laugh and all that? Oh, I did because I met Noel Brotherston was there and right. he was from Northern Ireland. He became my best friend and right, he was okay. a great lad. Yeah. And then you met a lot of the other players like Stevie Walford yeah. was there and he was in the reserves and the Steads, Mickey Stead and Kevin Stead. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they're all, there was all different bunch of lads but then I was still training with the first team so I was training with the first team and playing with the reserves yeah. and I, that happened for probably three or four months but anyway I, I, um, I was sitting at home after a game on a Saturday night and I got a phone call from Terry Neal and I'd only been at Tottenham about maybe three months four months and he said uh, Jerry he said it's uh, Terry here manager and I said yes Terry and he went um, I want you to pack your kit and your shoot boots and stuff and I said my boots and he said yeah he said um, you've been called up for the international squad there's a friendly match against Israel in Tel Aviv he said they're meeting at the Heathrow airport tomorrow he said Chris McGrath's going he said he'll take you in the car he's got a car I said right okay I said I haven't got my boots he says go up to the club in the morning he says and get them he says I'll organise for somebody to be there and so I went up and got my boots came back and then got in the car and away I went and uh, went off to and I hadn't played in the first team I'd only been at Spurs about three and a half four months and I was getting fitter because I was training full time and um I ended up meeting the players, uh, uh, Northern Ireland squad, and got over to Tel Aviv. That was 1976, it would be. I think it was March or April 76. 
and we went over and, and the manager was a fella called Dave Clements who used to play for Northern Ireland but he played for Everton he was a defender for Everton yeah. and he went over to the United States Leagues but he was the manager and he welcomed me into the squad and um, I was just there for experience so um, and um, Pat Jennings was obviously he was the star at the time for Northern yeah. Ireland for Spurs yeah. so the awards on the Sunday night were um, the PFA awards and Pat was voted the PFA player so he wasn't on the flight he didn't come in till the, the Monday. And uh, anyway, it was great. You know, Pat won the award and came in the day later. And um, I was sharing a room with him. So I got to know Pat better and chatting yeah. away. And uh, he says, oh, well, after the game, he says, sure, I've got a friend of mine. Uh, he said, he told me, Rafa, he said, uh, big Spurs fan. He said, uh, he, he told me to go to this club. Uh, Mandy Rice Davison's night, nightclub. He says, it's a good place to go. And I went, I never heard of Manny Rice Davison. I never heard who she was. So they played the match on the Wednesday. We drew 1-1 and um, I never played. I was on the bench, never played. And we went out and I had a suit on, you know, and there was Pat Rice, Sammy Nelson, Pat Jennings, Alan Hunter, myself. There was quite a few of the players were there. But one of the lads were there was Derek Spence. I don't know if you remember him, blonde-haired guy. Mm. Played for Bury, played for Blackpool, played for Southend. Yeah, and um, he was one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet, but a real character. So he goes in, and Jimmy Nickel had made his debut at right back from Manchester United. He would have been maybe 18 or 19, Jimmy. Mm. And uh, they were up dancing on the floor with these two girls, but unfortunately, one of the girls was had a boyfriend. <laughs> and he came running over and started a, a row with Derek Spence. And... <laughs> Instincts kicked in for me. Yes. So I interceded with the right hook and oh, no. caught this guy and he went down. And before he hit the ground, there must have been about six or seven of them came from everywhere. Oh, and I thought, well, I've got the whole lads here. We're all, you know, the whole team was here. And I can still remember in the corner, I was fighting against these five or six guys, Pat Jennings in his suit and Sammy Nelson saying, go on, big man. Go on, man. Go on, big man. And it was absolute classic stuff, you know. So... Anyway, in comes the police, and yours truly was arrested, handcuffed the whole lot. And, um, and it wasn't the first time. And uh, <laughs> the best part of it was Big Pat was laughing, you know? Yeah. And uh, he disappeared, and he came back with this guy called Rafi. And these, there was about six Israeli policemen, and they were all shouting away and talking away in Hebrew, and I hadn't a clue what was going on. I just knew I was getting arrested, and they were starting to arrest Derek Spence and, and Jimmy Nickel. And... Um, in comes Rafi, and Rafi says, what are you doing? He said, he's a Tottenham player. He says, get the handcuffs off him now, right away. <laughs> and he starts giving this a real bollock in these policemen, and they're all going, yes, sir, yes, sir. So he was a top man. Wow. Anyway, we get them all, and that was the first time I heard Pat Jennings use the phrase, and he said, Jerry, it's not what you know, it's who you know, son. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first, and I thought, I won't be playing for Northern Ireland, but it was not reported in the press. No. It was not reported in the press. That's the difference between then and now. Yeah, but also Rafa was all over it, wasn't he? He was, by the sound of it, yeah. very powerful man. He was. I wonder how Pat knew him. He knew him from Spurs, says, and apparently he had something to do with the government, but he yeah. also owned every car rental in Israel. Oh, right. Yeah, and he was a huge Spurs fan, so... Yeah, it Use, was useful friend to have. It was. I've never seen him again since, but I never thanked <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Couldn't wait to get out the next day. <laughs> yeah. So um, so you were there, of course. You were still there when uh, in summer of 78 when the old Argentinians... Yep. Do you remember when you, where you were when you first, when you first yeah, heard that? Yeah, we, we actually went on tour to, to Holland, 
and they we heard reports that they'd signed. I think we played the first game on the tour without them, and then they arrived the next day. And we were in chalets in Holland in this camp. And uh, do you know this story? No, I don't know. Because whoever, Pat Weldon was the coach and Pat was lovely. And he, he had his own mannerisms, like, you know, when you were doing your warm-ups and stuff. And he would take the lads for the warm-up. And uh, anyway, uh, Keith had introduced the players um, to the boys. And we did a training session with them. And Ozzy could speak maybe 20, 30 words of English. Ricky could speak no no English at all. Ricky couldn't speak any. And two lovely lads. And then the next thing is they're being allocated into a chalet. And it was three to a chalet. And they were allocated with Peter Taylor. And I thought, shit, this isn't going to work out right. Pete was a real comedian, great yeah. fun. So he had them in and Pete was obviously chatting all night to them. Next day we come out, had our breakfast come out and we're, and we're doing the stretches. Pat's saying, come on, lads. Stretch out your legs. He says, here, abductor. He said, let's have a bloody good strike. But Ricky smiled at Pat as he said, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> First words come out with swear words. So it was all swear words for the whole of session. And the players, we couldn't contain ourselves. We loved it. And uh, so as, as you, your days go on and the weeks go on, you start, they learn a wee bit more English, you know, and uh, Ozzy was then, very good. He was able to pick up the English pretty quick. And he was saying, you know, um, about our accents. Yeah. You know? And I learned that when I went to Spain, everybody has a different accent. The Spaniards have a different accent. And you can tell whether they're from Andalusia or yeah. they're from Barcelona or Madrid or wherever. Yeah. So um, Ozzy recognised the difference in the accents. And he said about, you know, the players. And he said, oh, where are you from? And he said, ah, Scotland, you know. And there was some of the players from Scotland, so he was chatting to the Scottish players. And then he said, Jerry, he says, where, where are you from? And I said, I come from Belfast. And Ricky instantly went, Belfast. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, that's the place, Ricky, that's the place. <laughs> so you had all this of these two lads, and there were two World Cup winners, this is what you forget. Yeah. But I was looking over footage, it was on the big match. Somebody phoned me and said, you're on the big match, Jerry, it was a Sunday morning, Bran Moore. And it was the game against Chelsea. And Ozzy and Ricky were unbelievable. When you, I looked at it again, I thought, how good were they? Yeah. The skills and the technique. And yeah. Ozzy doing his wee tricks and he would flick it with the feet over the top of their heads and back heels. And they, just, they brought a complete new dimension to um, what the British football. You yeah. know, they were a sensation. And you have to give credit to Keith for what he'd done to bring the two of them, having the, the balls to actually do that and put them in. Because I remember also the game we went to play Liverpool and got hammered seven. Yeah. There. And yeah. Were you there? Eyes on the bench, right? And the funny thing about it was, you know the news of the world used to do the reports and used to give players marks? Yeah. And um, nobody, I think Barry Danes made about five or six good saves, but conceded seven on the day, and he got our highest mark, and I think he got four, four, four point one or something like that, and everybody else got threes. Yeah. And I never come on. I got a three. <laughs> but the funny thing was, uh, it was like we had the midfield. We'd left John Pratt out. And this is where you, you learn about football. They took John Pratt out to allow Neil McNabb, Glenn Hoddle, Ozzy Ardiles, the play, and, and Ricky Villa, the play in the midfield four. No all were all fantastic players. Yeah. But the balance was wrong. Yeah. And I think the next game, the next game we played midweek, well, it was Newcastle, whatever, John Pratt was straight back in midfield and it was yeah. a different team. 
Sure, you, and that's where you learn things. But you, you know? could have done a job in there. But, uh, I could, but you? I could, but Keith never had that sort of confidence. I mean, I could have done a job uh, in midfield as a holding midfielder, yeah, right. or or as a as an attacking midfielder. I could I could do it all, and yeah. I I would have won the cross countries at Tottenham. I'd have won them all day long. Yeah, I'd have won the sprints. There's yeah. nobody faster. I still hold the record for the old ground for one lap of the pitch. I took, yes. I took money off Keith Birkinshaw that day as well. Oh, yeah. That, and it was that, running around the track, and Martin Shivers had done it in 50.43 or whatever it was. And he said, that's, Martin was a great athlete. Yeah. And he said, that's the record there. And uh, Mike Varney, who knew, Mike said, big man, he, he, would, he would be close to that. And he said, you could, and I said, I could beat that. And he said, do you think so? And Keith said, if you beat that, he says, I'll give you 10 shillings and you can have the rest of the day off. I said, <laughs> Get your money out, and they got the stopwatch out, and I did forty nine point four seven, wow. broke a fifty second, smashed it. But the the problem was, if you remember the old stadium, it was like that. You know, it was tight in the corners, yeah. And the running track wasn't that big; it was like Not red grab with sort yeah, of stones, yeah. Yeah. and there was a concrete wall with the wee metal things on the top yeah. of it. Yeah. I never slowed down because you slowed down in the corners. I kept <sighs> going, and I hit bounced off the wall with wow. my head. Kept going to keep my momentum going, wow. and that's how I was able to beat it. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> because you, 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 you sound like you, 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 you walking around under a general anaesthetic most of the time. <laughs> I never <laughs> got, I never got injured. I, yeah. ne- I never got injured because I played Gaelic football in Hurling. Yeah. And, and Hurling, if you've seen Hurling game played, I played Hurling and I won an All Ireland medal at 17. Um, at Croke Park and beat Tipperary. And I played for Antrim. And nobody's ever played Hurling and soccer. Nobody. No. And I played hurling, Gaelic, and soccer. I played all sports. I'd love to play rugby. You know, I'd love yeah. to really play I, I rugby. I could see you being pretty good yeah, at rugby. Yeah, I'd like to th- have a go at that, but I couldn't find the time to do it all, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, Jerry, you talk about you, 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 you know, liking to sort of get, get stuck in with Dennis Smith and the likes. Yeah. How do you think you'd have got on today with the cameras and VAR and every single challenge gets brought Lasted up? 20 minutes. <laughs> wouldn't have lasted more than 20. They're all diving now. Everybody dives. Um, you don't know if they're injured or not. I learned that commentating on Spanish football and I could see players throwing themselves to the ground. But I had arguments with Guillaume Balaga about, I said, he's a cheat. He said, he's not a cheat. I said, he's deliberately throwing himself to the ground. He said, it's a, an art. <laughs> I said, what do you mean it's an art? And Spain, they regard that as an art. Yeah. Where they take on the defender and force the defender to kick them. And they'll get away maybe the first couple of challenges, but the third one, the referee will book them. And then yeah. he can't touch them after that. Yeah. And that's what they play for. And so it's, it's it is an art. It's yeah. ta- tactical. Yeah. I think um, Pochettino said that in Argentina. They, they yeah. grow up with the mentality that whatever it takes to win, you win. Yeah. There's no sense of fair play or... Yeah. They don't see it as cheating. They just yeah. say, that's what it takes to win. So that's, that's a skill in itself, yeah. yeah. And if it's diving or it's winning a penalty or winning a free kick, you do it. I know. I was old school and yeah. I would never take a dive. I would never go down um, if I wasn't hurt, you know. And 99% of the players I played with were the same. And there was a code of conduct. Stevie Perriman run the dressing room and Stevie was top man. Whatever he said went. Yeah. And that's why we had such a tight ship, you know. He was a man. He, this is what you do and this is the way you behave. And we did. So he, was, he wouldn't have um, tolerated diving? No. Stevie wouldn't. No chance. Yeah. He was 100% committed, but um, he wouldn't tolerate anybody on our team, Damon. Yeah. Steve talks about game management, and he yeah. says, I hate the expression game management. Game management means you basically cheat in the last 10 minutes. Yeah. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want anything to do with it. No, he was yeah. hot. We went on that tour, 
And I actually said the tour came in 1976. And we went, after the season was over, we went on a tour three days later. And we flew from London to Toronto and played the Toronto Metros. And Eusebio was playing for them. We beat them 1-0. And then we flew down to Los Angeles and spent a day or two in Los Angeles, did Disney World, had a bit of fun. And then flew on to Hawaii and stopped over in Hawaii. And then we went from Hawaii to Fiji. And we played a game in Fiji, in um, not Suva, Latoka, mm -hmm. which is the second biggest city there. And we then flew to New Zealand and we went to... Uh, to um, which was the first one. We went to Wellington first, I think, and then Christchurch after that. We played a match in both of those and won both the, all the games. Then we went to Australia and we played a game in Sydney and then we played a game in Newcastle up the coast and then we came back and played a game in Melbourne. Then we went to Perth and played a game in Perth and then we flew to India on the way home and the journey was about 30-odd hours home because we went India, then we had to go to Rome and then London, and we were away five and a half weeks. And the next two players got injured, uh, both cartilages, Jimmy Holmes and Don McAllister, both fullbacks. Mm. One was a right back. Well, Don could play centre half, but he was a right back. And uh, Jimmy was a left back, and they were both out for cartilages then were 10, 10 weeks to 12 weeks. So they were both out. So Spurs started the season really down, and we were all wrecked. And I still say that trip cost Tottenham relegation. Yeah, that's, that's and people don't even mention it, but I know, and I was there, and I know how I felt. I was wrecked for weeks afterwards. Yeah, Takes that makes sense. I mean, when you think, when, I didn't know, I don't remember that at all. But when you think about it, to start a season like that, and because it's very hard to get going after you, because if you're all knackered to begin with, and you've got no fullbacks. Well, you lose a lot of points with yeah. the players, and then it was and then good psychological. It was good that, for me and Glenn and people like that because we got chances. To yeah. get games, but we really didn't shouldn't have because we never maybe had the experience, and that was yeah. the whole point of going on the tours. But um, your the next part is spot on. Your confidence, it's football's all about belief and confidence. You yeah. know, if you're on a roll, and uh, I played in teams where we've lost, like in international football, we lose two, three years in a row. You get hammered all the time, and then all of a sudden the players grow up and come of age. The Billy Hamiltons, the Jimmy Nichols, the, the David McCreary's, the Sammy McElroy's, we all became experienced players and went six years unbeaten at Windsor Park, and that's why we qualified for two World Cups and won yeah. two British Championships. Yeah, You know, those are the things, and it comes from belief and having, well, knowledge as well. You know the strengths of your teammates and you know the strengths of the opposition, and you play to them. Yeah. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Let's talk about um, your the end of your time at Tottenham. When Steve Archibald and Garth Crooks came along, yeah. you even it was even tougher to get a game up front. It was right? brilliant. I remember at Chess and Training Ground, and the lads were saying, "Oh, did you see the signed um, Stevie Archibald first? And and I said yes, and then then the signed Garth Crooks. 
straight afterwards for big money. I think yeah. it was four or five hundred thousand pounds, whatever uh, yeah, it was. I think, yeah, Archie least, was more in yeah, like So they come in and the press were all outside and they said, Jerry, you've heard the news, you know, Steve Archibald signing Garth Crooks. I said, Yes. And he said, Well, what's your I said, I don't mind which of the two of them I play with. I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you make a bit of fun, but you knew then yeah. Graham Taylor had been trying to sign me for two years. Right. Which I didn't know when uh, Keith came clean and then told me he'd been after me. But yeah. you know, and it was a record transfer when I went to Tottenham or from Tottenham to um, to Watford, the, yeah. the, you were their record signing. I, I was Tottenham's record sale, sale really? and I was their record signing at wow. two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, a lot know? of money in those days. Yeah, of it was, and I'd only been yeah. playing soccer about seven or eight years. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, but you were an established international. I was then, yeah, I was, and you were capable of doing a job, as we've said, all around part. Yeah. But when you went to Watford, you played up front. No, you yeah. said uh, no. I played up front right. to start off with, but it was a funny one because Watford, it wasn't a big club like like Tottenham. And it was funny, like, you know, when we had the coaches, at, uh, at, when you went on the, off on the coach on a Friday at Tottenham, you had a four-star uh, coach limousine and you'd go up and you had everything you want. You had a guy at the back who was making food and all. And the meals and all were great. You know, you'd have hot food coming back after the games and what have you. So it was really well looked after. When you went to Watford, it was a two-star coach. Um, you had a box with sandwiches in it mm. and, and tins of Fanta or Coke or whatever it was and, a, and an apple or a banana. Yeah. So it was like, and Pat Rice signed at the same time as me and he had just left as captain of Arsenal. and he went, fuck it hell, he said, <laughs> he said, from the devil to the deep blue sea, you know what I said? I know I said it's two complete contrasts, but that's the way Graham Taylor was. Yeah. As a manager, he wanted people who were totally committed and um, they were going to do the job. And he hated cheats. He was another Stevie P. Right. He hated cheats. And he loved the people who were committed. And um, I started learning about him, but I realised how fit they were. They trained. The, the first team trained morning and afternoon. And that was every day. You never got a day off. You didn't get Wednesday off. You trained. Right. And then he would throw stuff in because when I used to do the cross countries at uh, Tottenham, you wouldn't run further than maybe five or six miles as a, as a cross country. But when I went to Watford, they took us to Casiaberry Park, and the first cross country I did was over ten mile. Wow! And it was it was tough, up and down hills and all the rest. And your times were all recorded, so he knew what your right. times were. And the next time he took you to do that, he was expecting you to knock 10, 15, 20 seconds off that. Yeah. You know? yeah. So you had targets and you had aim for them. So that's the way it was. It makes sense, doesn't it, Jerry? Because of course they were. They were chalk and cheese in the way they played, weren't they, Tottenham yeah. and Watford? So actually, I suppose if you're going to play and win the way Watford did, you absolutely need complete fitness. Well, they yeah. must have had brilliant service coming in because they, they, they played the wingers, didn't they? And they, they had great crosses coming in for you. It did. And it's funny how he, he evolved the team because the team that he had the first year I joined them, they were well, well down the league. They had a couple of games in hand, but they were like maybe second or third bottom of the league. And um, they signed myself, Pat Rice, and they signed uh, Les Taylor from Oxford. And Les was a midfield player. Pat was a defender, but Pat went in for his experience and, yeah. and as, a, as a captain, as a leader. And I went in as par and pace up front. And, but he did get a lot more out of me. He actually worked hard on me on crossovers with Luther Blissett. John Barnes wasn't on the scene. Nigel Callaghan was just coming through. Mm. And um, they had different players. Wilf Austin was playing as a, mm. a left winger mm. and then end, ended up playing at left back for years. And a good left back he was. Mm. So things were happening and Graham was still putting the team together. But the following year, he went for it. And I remember 1982, the year we qualified for the World Cup, um, there was a youth cup final between Manchester United and Watford and that youth team 
was John Barnes, Kenny Jacket, Nigel, Nigel Gibbs, Na uh, Nigel Callahan. I mean, they had a fantastic team, mm. and uh, they had, Steve Terry was a good centre half. They had, they had a wonderful team all round, and they went to Manchester United to Old Trafford, and they beat Man United. I think it was four three at Old Trafford, and then the return leg was the following week, and I went to watch the game, and um, there was a good crowd. There was about sixteen thousand at Vicarage Road watching it, and it finished three three. But the two front men for Manchester United, that was the first time I'd seen them play. Norman Whiteside was one. And I'd never seen never seen Norman play before. He was only 16 then. And Mark Hughes was the other one. Wow. wow. I tell you what, two crackers. And they looked good then. Yeah. They looked good then. You knew they were going to be something special. Yeah. But it was a wonderful game. And Watford won 7-6, whatever it was in aggregate. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, that, was, that was it. So then this team then was that they were thrown straight into the deep end. I'd never seen anybody like John Barnes because he was a great athlete and he yeah. had two good feet. You know, and he could he could head a ball, he could cross a ball, he could take free kicks, he could score goals, he could do it all. Nigel Callahan on the other side, he didn't even have to get past anybody. He wasn't really fast, but he had a technique where he could whip the ball around right. you. And he put it in with pace and top spin and everything. Yeah. And he was a nightmare. So when you were getting that sort of service, yeah. you know you're gonna you're gonna do. So you well. and Luther Blissett, uh, me and Luther Blissett, so and two Ross, two proper centre forwards, really. Yeah, proper centre. Well, we were pacey. Yeah, you know, and I was par and pace. And, yeah, um, I remember Graham Taylor said um, I was I wasn't well one day, and I, th I came in and I had a bit of a cold, and I said we're doing a cross country, and Billy Hales was a coach, and said Jerry, he said um, how are you feeling? He said that cold. He says you may be better leaving it out. And I went no, I want to train, and he says all right, go ahead. So I trained, and anyway, I was about sixteen seconds slower than my normal time, which I was happy with. You know, when you have a you know heavy cold, and I yeah. thought I've done well, I've got it through, and I felt better at the end of it as well. So anyway, straight t Graham Taylor, he's looking at the, the, the Times and straight order. He says, Jerry, what's this? And <laughs> yeah. I said, what? He said, I'm not being funny. He said, see, if you don't beat your Times, every he says, I know what you can do. He said, if you don't finish in the first three of everything we do, you're cheating me, you're cheating yourself, and you're cheating the fans. I said, I had a fucking cold frame for you know. And he says, well, that's okay, just making a point, you know. And that, and, but he did. He made points like that, and he, he had a wow. brilliant, he had a brilliant, very, brain. very demanding. He was, but that season we went up, and yeah. then everybody said they're going to go straight down. That was a year of the '82 World Cup, and I yes. had a great World Cup, and I was really yes. fit. Watford got me very fit, fitter yeah. than I'd ever been at Tottenham. Right, really, right, and because that's um, the whole basis of his approach, I suppose, wasn't yeah. it? You had to be. If if you can't do what he wanted you to do, you wouldn't have been picked. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Barcelona did a wee bit of that about seven or eight years ago. They they have a well, it was Pep Guardiola started it when yeah. he was at Barcelona's manager, and Pep had a he did a test on the players, and it was to do with their blood sugar level and all the rest of it. And he knew if it wasn't to a certain level they were not considered for the first team. Right. And that was star players as well. I've seen him leave players out because they were below. So par. presumably he's still doing that now. He is. Yeah, yeah. He is. And he, that's why, that, so that's that's the modern side of yeah. football now. Yeah. Let's talk about this World Cup because you said I had a good World Cup. I you can say that again. <laughs> Blimey. I mean, none of us here, I, I'm looking around, I don't think anyone here is young enough, well, maybe one or two, but to not, who, who doesn't remember what it was like watching you Score that goal against which which changed your life completely, it didn't did, it? It yeah. was a life changing moment. A bit like it's funny you talked about earlier on the sliding doors moment of of you know you were playing soccer because you you were suspended, suspended from. This is another life changing moment. You're in the World Cup 
Billy Bingham's the manager. Yeah. Martin O'Neill, who I interviewed recently for my other podcast, Live Goals, yeah. and talks about it so fondly and about... He shows it as his favourite goal of all time. Yeah. And he talks about the goal. He does say that you slightly exaggerate certain aspects of it now. <laughs> <laughs> no way. But what a moment, because you're playing the hosts who are strongly fancied, you know, Northern Ireland, you know, what are they doing at the World Cup, you know, and, and, you, and you beat them, and you are the scorer of this goal. Talk us through this moment. Um, it was, we had been under the cosh and we knew they were going to come at us. Martin actually had a team meeting the day before by the pool and he said, right, lads, you know, we said, we have to win this match to qualify. And they had already more or less qualified. Yeah. But they wanted to top their group and they were a host team and the, they weren't, they, they were okay, but they didn't really hit the heights that everybody expected. So mm. they were under pressure. And Martin said, they'll come at us the first 15, 20 minutes. We'll do what we're good at. We get behind the ball. We'll play them across the park and we'll keep it tight. And he said, then as the game progresses, we'll get our chances. We'll get two or three chances. He said, we'll beat them 1-0. That's the score. Mm -hmm. And that's what he said. Yeah. So I said, that sounds all very plausible. So we all bought into that. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, the game, and they threw everything at us. You know, there was a little left winger called Lopez Uforte. Yeah, I remember that. Who was skipping past Jimmy Nickel. And Jimmy said, big man, fucking give us a hand here, will you? You yeah. know, so I was playing. And, and this was the other side of Billy Bingham changed the team after the British Championships because he wanted to play Norman Whiteside. And he put Norman in for the first game against Yugoslavia. Right. And Norman played on the left-hand side up front. Billy Hamilton played on the right-hand side up mm. front. And I dropped into right side of midfield. Right. right. And because of that, Graham Taylor started playing me. Oh. Uh, when I went back, yeah. you know, it was crazy. Yeah. So Billy put me in there. And I had the energy and the, the power and the, the, to go back and support Jimmy Nickel and help him yeah. with the left back coming forward, which was Gordillo and Lopez Uforte. I could stop those two, giving him a problem. Mm. But then when I won the ball on my own half, I was away. Nobody was ever going to catch me. I just took off, run 40, 50 yards and, you know, go past people, put a cross and put a shot in, whatever it was. And um, this is one of the attacks early in the second half. And it was a very physical game. They were... They were quite dirty, yeah. you know, and South American referees, we, I didn't speak Spanish then and nobody else in the team spoke it, so they were getting away with a lot. And it was two minutes into the second half and I intercepted a pass from Gordillo. I knew he was going to pass it out wide to Lopez Uforte and I intercepted the pass and went on a run from outside my own box and ran for about 40 yards. And the midfield player uh, tried to trip me from behind. That was Alonso, Perico Alonso, who's Xavi Alonso's father. Oh, that was Chavi Alonso's fall. He was a dirty bastard as well. <laughs> so he he tried to chop me down. I kept going, and then I knocked the ball out wide right to Billy Hamilton, who drifted out to the right hand side. And mm. one of the centre halves called Tendilio, who was only about twenty one at the time, he came out with him, and Billy knocked the ball past him, and then he slapped him out of the way to get down the right hand side. Mm. Billy is like six foot three, not sort of finesse, and I thought. Is he going to put a good cross in? Or is it going to be a crap one? And and the, the the heat and all. And I thought I'll I'll keep going. So I kept going. And the ball came in was an absolute cracker. And Arcanada comes out, and he palms it straight in front of me. And it comes to me just in front of the penalty spot. And I thought, get your head over the top of the ball and keep it low. And I hammered it, and it went through. I think it was Alessandro was the other centre half. He spreads his legs to try and block it. it was through his legs and through the goalkeeper, Arganada's legs. So it was a double nutmeg through both their legs in the back of the net. And nobody uh, cheered. Or, and I thought, Bastard's going to disallow. What's it for? Yeah. And I realised it was all Spaniards. And yeah. then Norman Whiteside had his hands up and he was cheering. And yeah. I turned round and the referee had pointed the 
the, the centre circle. I thought, we've got to go. And that was the only real chance we had of the game. Right. And then 10 minutes later, Mal Donaghy and Camacho for a ball going out of play and Camacho's trying to stop him getting to it. And of course, Mal sort of pushed him a wee bit in the back. And Camacho never really made a big deal of it. He sort of went against the fence and turned around. He said, hey, what's your problem? And uh, the linesman starts waving his flag and calls the referee over. And um, red card. So down to 10 men. And I thought, you're having a laugh here. So the last 30-odd minutes of the game, we played with 10 men against yeah. them. Still beat them. <laughs> well, it's one of the most famous 10-man rearguard actions of all time, isn't it? I mean, and one of the great World Cup upsets, wasn't it? Really? It was. It was um, Gary Lineker, and I think it was about a month ago when the World Cup was on, Gary Lineker, Alan Shear, and I don't know if it was Danny, Danny Murphy, they did a wee piece and said, you know, um, these are the top 10 upsets of all time and then they listed them and they put that as a, the, the biggest upset they said that was the biggest which I was quite chuffed with yeah you know well, it even was though a... Alan Sheard yeah he said that made his career he said you know he only scored that one goal I scored three goals in that World Cup that was the, that was the second one I scored against France and I scored against Honduras right so I scored three goals so in it's, completely, it's complete yeah. nonsense he's yeah. talking now. well of course as you say you had quite a good World Cup then you've gone off. I mean, what, what happens then is your, your life completely changes because you end up going to play in Spain. Not yet. Okay, how quickly? But how quickly? Came back for the start yeah. of the season and Watford, you know, um, we played the opening game of the season against Everton. Yeah. And I scored the first goal for Watford in top flight football. I was on fire. I was just scoring goals. Even before the World Cup, we had to beat um, Israel in yeah. our final game to qualify and I scored the only goal left foot volley the game before that we had to beat Portugal to knock them out of the, the, the running because they were above us and we beat them 1-0 in Belfast and I scored a header at the far post that was the only goal so I was on a bit of a roll and again I'll send you about confidence and belief when you're scoring goals I couldn't wait for the next international match because yeah. I was on fire and the lads knew it and the, and the players and the fans knew it so they're behind you they support you and you just get on with it you know so we, we've gone into that then after the World Cup, um, Graham Taylor's picked the team against Everton. We beat them 2-0. Pat Rice scored the other goal when Neville Southall caught it and stepped back behind the line. That was the same game. I don't think Neville stepped behind the line. I think he stepped behind the line, but it's but the kept ball, the ball out. Yeah. So, uh, but the referee or the linesman gave it, so it was 2-0. Mm. And then that season, Watford ended up runners-up yeah. to Liverpool. Yeah. But about uh, it was four or five games into the season. I'd scored three goals in my first four games, scored against uh, Everton, then I scored a couple against Southampton and somebody else. And I jumped for a ball in a uh, training match and went to land on one leg and went over on the outside of it and broke my ankle and my leg. So I was out for three months, which is a, a nightmare. Yeah. I got myself so fit. I was in the best form of my life. Yeah. And it was a Big blow. So yeah. that was me knocked back. And then I watched Watford struggle a wee bit. And then they came back. And then I came back in in the January, January, February. I came back in again. And we had another run. Yeah. And the last game, we beat Liverpool 2-0 at home. Man United, I think, drew away to Coventry 2-2. And we finished runners-up yeah. to Incredible. Liverpool. For, which is, they've never been any closer. They've never come any closer to win it again. Yeah, of course. That was, our, mean, that was a chance. Yeah. You know? I mean, Watford are not a club that is expected to change. In the no. same way, it's incredible because you, you've done that with Northern Ireland and then Watford were a bit like Northern Ireland they in were. a sense. They, they had were. no business really being up the Do top you know, of the table. Graham Taylor made it really simple. He used to say, um, when we have the ball, we play 4-2-4. Four, four. When we don't have the ball, we're 4-4-2. Four, four, yeah. so, and they all knew that and everybody had to work. So John Barnes on the left wing, and uh, Nigel Callan on the right wing, they worked their socks off. Yeah. And they talked to... 
No, George wasn't in. He came to replace me. George was my replacement. I went at the end of that season. Yeah. I got an offer to go to Seville and a couple of German clubs in, in Mallorca. And I went over and spoke to Mallorca and signed for Mallorca. Yeah. And, um, which was great so fun. Presumably, you, had, you were kind of quite famous in Spain for what you had done. And that's why I'd always, in mean, my perception, I don't know about anyone else, but I always thought, he scores that goal against Spain yeah. and he goes to play in Spain. And he has a, you have a great time in Spain, a great career in Spain, and then you end up being a, a broadcaster. Yeah, in I scored my first, my first goal for Real Mallorca was my second or third game. And we were at home to Barcelona. And Maradona was playing, and Schuster, and you wow. want to see a team they had out. And Maradona, that was the first time I played against him. Holy shit. I've never seen anything <laughs> like it in my life. Yeah. All left foot, what a player. Yeah. And Ozzy had talked about him with me for years and saying, oh, we got this kid called Diego Maradona, he's going to be special. And I thought, right, okay. And he was um, unbelievable, yeah. unstoppable. Yeah. And we, he, he had run his ragged in the first 15 minutes, and we broke away down the left-hand side, cross came in from the left-hand side, the far post. I'm flying in the far post. I stick it in the back of the net. So my first goal was against Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And uh, we go 1-0 up. And I thought, right, now we can build on that. We got beat 4-1. <laughs> so when you had all those clubs after you at the end of that 82-83 season, which had gone well in the end after you got over the yeah. injury and everything, and you said there were a couple of German sides, a couple of... When you, what made you choose the beautiful island of Mallorca? I went, I went over to, to it. They, they came to see me. Right. The rest of it had done long, long distance. Yeah. But the, the agent came over and he didn't, he didn't speak English. He spoke Spanish, but he had an interpreter. Right. And the girl, I was, he, I was asking her question. He was asking her question. Yeah. So she interpreted. And um, I just thought, I'll go, I'll go over to they want They, they seem to want you the most. Yeah, but it wasn't just that. There was something about it. It just felt right. And what a I mean, it was a great lifestyle choice is it what was. I was getting at. I mean, it what was. a place to go and live and work. I yeah. mean, uh, presumably a good contract because now you're peaking, yeah. you're peaking your powers, right? And, they, and in those days, of course, the Spanish League was, there was as much money there as anywhere, right? I would have thought. Yeah, it was good money. Yeah. It was. And, um, and it was a different style of football, which yeah. was something I was really interested in. Right. And um, they didn't have a player like me over in Spain. There wasn't anybody who would hit the centre halves and the goalkeeper just yeah. for the fun. <laughs> you know, and the fans loved it. I mean, I'm not being funny. You know, you see the goalkeeper coming for a cross, and it's like 60-40. It's going to be the keeper's ball. Yeah, I still hit him. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. because psychologically, and my this is my theory. Uh, when when I used to see them jumping in, in, in the in the games in England, and the goalkeeper was catching the ball, and I used to just go and pull his, his right his left arm like that, and he would fumble it. Now the referee would give a free kick, yeah. but it's the next cross. He's sort of thinking, where is he? <laughs> you know, you put him on his back foot. So that was the whole point, point to it. So I did the same in Spain, and the, the goalkeepers hated it, and they used to get really annoyed, and yeah. the centre-halves hated it as well. But, but didn't you have an altercation with your own goalkeeper quite early on? I knocked him out. Yes. In the showers. <laughs> yes. What was, what was that all he about? He on the wrong person. <laughs> what was that all about? I had been there four weeks, and there was a player called Veron who was Argentinian, and he was from Rathlin Santander, he came from. And him and I were roommates staying in a hotel in um, Campastilla, uh, Arenal, down that way. And I couldn't speak Spanish and he couldn't speak English. It was a nightmare. But he was a lovely fella and we got on well. So whenever we went to the, um, the restaurants, all the, the, I mean, it's, it's incredible, all the waiters could speak Spanish, French, German, English, the whole lot. It was incredible. So I say, here, ask them what time are we training tomorrow? What's going on there? So you do all your work there and they would pass all the information on. And him and I got friendly. But every time I'd go in, 
a dressing room. They'd all speak Spanish, of course. And um, this guy called Mariano Tarapu, he was the goalkeeper and he was a bit of a comedian. He fancied himself as a comedian and he kept telling stories and going, da, 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 Jerry. And they would all start <laughs> laughing. I thought, he's fucking taking the piss out of me here. Yeah. So I looked at my roommate, Veron, and Veron would go, I could have said he wouldn't laugh. <laughs> so this went on for several weeks and then we played Zaragoza and we ended up drawing 1-1 but there was about 15 minutes to go in the match and the cross came in and I remember throwing myself full head on and heading it and I was going in the top corner and the keeper made a brilliant save. He got his hand to it and he pushed it round and I thought I should have headed down. He wouldn't have saved it if I headed down. I was a bit pissed off. So I've gone in and I wanted us to win and it was the first game of the season and uh, we had drawn 1-1. The president was happy enough but I wasn't happy. I thought we should have won it. So we go into the shower and there's six or seven players there standing, bollock naked, and it was coming out of the ceiling. The showers came out of the ceiling then. They didn't have pipes. They were just coming out of the ceiling. And, and I was standing on the showers and there he started, did it, did it, did it, did it, Jerry. And I went, oi. And he turned bang, right hook. And he was out cold. He went down. He was hit. Before he hit the ground, he was out cold. Every single player ran out of the shower, <laughs> except except for Veron. And that's when I learned one of my first phrases. And he went, Moi bien, Jerry, which means very good, Jerry. <laughs> so then the manager came running in and he started shouting at me in Spanish. And I hadn't a clue what he was saying. It wasn't good. like, But, you know, he was red-faced. He was screaming at me. And Veron said, Mr. Mr., because the manager's called Mr. That's what they call it, the boss. Yeah. And he said, Mr. Mr., por favor. And he said, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he told him what this guy's been doing. Yeah. And then I learned my second phrase when the manager said to me, OK, no pasa nada. OK, Jerry, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so that's that was the very start and then I thought I've got to learn Spanish so yes I started to learn Spanish and did your uh, relationship improve with the goalkeeper it didn't it didn't you know he was all <laughs> he never wanted he never wanted to be in the opposition side against me let's put yeah. it like that he always wanted to be in the same team yeah and it was the same with the centre half the centre half was uh, a guy called Rafael Gallardo and he was uh, about six foot one very lean most skillful centre half I've ever seen and he was more of a sweeper, but um, he couldn't tackle. And if you're a centre half and you can't tackle, you're no good to me. Mm. And um, in the seven aside matches, I used to love kicking him. I used to get stuck out <laughs> and whack him, and he'd scream and jump up and down. And the players, the Argentinian players, loved it. They laughed, you know, they thought this was hilarious. So, um, it, it was one of those, it was all about the cultures and their training was different. They didn't train hard enough for me. And at the end, it was all skills and technique, mm. but um, you have to have a fitness level, yeah. especially playing in the heat. And um, I remember I just decided I was going to train. After we finished training, I started training on my own. And I used to do um, goal line to the six yard line and back and then the penalty spot and back and then the halfway and back and then the next penalty line and back and then the and back I used to do that and I'd do two or three of them and then I would start doing abdominals and press-ups on my own and I did that the first day and there was a lot of players watched in and went into dressing rooms and didn't say nothing and then the next day I started doing it again and the four Argentinian players who were on our club they all joined me and started doing it Right. so I tried to change yeah. the system and they had no camaraderie uh, the captain Rafael Gallardo he used to go home and they all lived in apartments within 100 yards of the stadium and they didn't have cars. They used to walk home and they'd go into their house and that was it. So you've no conversation, no camaraderie, you know, which was a big part when I played yeah, for the Northern Ireland yeah. team and Tottenham yeah, yeah. and Watford. You, we were all family, you know. Yeah. So uh, I tried to change that and um, I had, I started my Spanish getting better and I started speaking to some of the directors and the, the chairman. 
and um, I invited them. I had a place down in Portals, and it was a big apartment block, but we had a huge swimming pool and we had a beach and we had a big barbecue. And I said, like, you've got to build a camaraderie. So I said, well, everybody come to mine, I said, for a barbecue. So we came down, got all the lads, and we had a big barbecue. And um, the, I think the president paid for all the meat. Mm. And we paid for, the players then paid for the pastry, which was the dessert, and Saimadas and bread and all the rest. So, mm. And then all the players came down with their families, with their wives and kids. And there was a real feel. And we went on a six-match unbeaten run. Really? Yeah. Mm. It's just crazy. Yeah. Six-match unbeaten run. We went beat Sporting Hecon 3-0 away. And the crazy thing was, we got back to Mallorca about half past one in the morning into the airport, and there must have been thousands of fans waiting for us at the airport at half past one in the morning. Really? Seriously. It was crazy. And we just we just kept going on. We, yeah, yeah. The bad part of it was, it ended when we played Valladolid, who were, they were sort of third bottom of the table with us. We were at the bottom, and we had a run, and we took ourselves from nowhere right up. And um, we played value the lead, and there was a huge argument in the in, outside the dressing rooms between the president of value the lead and our president, um, Eagle Contesti from Mallorca, the referee, and uh, and it was to do with who's paying him the most money to throw the game. Really? And I fucking just I could never believe that it was happening. Yeah. So that, that actually happened. So I was upset with that, but that just shows you what goes on. I remember Eric Torstedt said a similar thing. Did I? The camaraderie. He said when he played in Norway and then Sweden and then Germany, he said the players would just change and go home. And he said when he came to Spurs, he couldn't believe. They'd all go to the pub, as it it used to be, or they'd all knock around. And and he said that sort of camaraderie just didn't exist in Europe. And he also said, the other thing, as you just mentioned, he said his first six months in England, he couldn't believe that when he came for a cross he was going to get battered because it just didn't happen anywhere in Europe when he played as a goalie. Yeah. You know, you just weren't used to it and he had to get used to that. You know, Stevie so. Perriman told me that. I was playing, um, Bob Latchford was playing for Everton up at Goodison Park and um, Barry Danes was in goal and I remember Barry took a cross and Bob Latchford hit him and smacked him into the back of the net and Stevie P said to me, Jerry, fucking do him first chance and <laughs> I remember it was um, I think it was Neville I think it was Neville or whoever it was and he, he took the ball and I hit him but he didn't hit the back of the net he hit the back post he hit he right oh. in the back post he was out for about three minutes and um, Stevie's going oh, well done big man that's, that's <laughs> so it was like you have to sort of try and get a foothold or an edge somewhere yeah. you know yeah. it was all stuff like that but it was great great that was a learning curve for me Yeah, you know and I loved it and but, was that animosity after the game as well, or was it just on the pitch? That sort of, not animosity, but the that competitiveness when you're actually getting into each other. That competitiveness. You should have seen the games on a Friday morning. Mm. You know, the day before you're playing, we, we used to do very little, but you'd always end up with a scrimmage, like a match, and it'd be six or seven aside. And I remember, I don't know how it came about. It was done before I joined there, but it was like, right, all the Scottish players, the Irish players and the Welsh players playing the English players. There was blood I mean, it was a concrete gym, bricks and all. Tackles were crazy. And Keith used to, he was a coach at the time. Keith would join in, he'd get stuck in in the corner. and He loved it because it was a real competitive edge. So yes, there was a big competitive edge. But I think football in any sport was, was competitive then and certainly more brutal. Mm. You know? Oh, yeah. But I mean, that, that, I guess they've changed the, 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 the laws. Well, you can't. There's too many players get injured now. And, and, yeah. and uh, the games, uh, I didn't mind them changing the game to yeah. make it more technical yeah. but I can't stand the diving no. and, and I can't stand cheats 
Yeah. And players know if they've been touched or not. You know, I know as a player if you've been touched. But some people would say, yeah, diving and feigning and, and cheating in that way is, is unacceptable. Yeah. But is it worse than going around smashing people up? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, if you asked Roy Keane that, Roy would say no. <laughs> yeah, simple as that. But, no. you know, Roy kept that vendetta yeah. going on for a long time with Haaland. Yeah. You know, he had that for a long time. He was in, but I did as well. I, I had a couple as well. Yeah. There was players I, who had done me, and I thought, well, the game's over, but I'll wait till the next match. I remember waiting six months, eight months to get the chance to do them back. Really? And I would do them, yeah. Anyone in particular? Um, there were two brothers at um, Sheffield. Shirtlift. Shirtlift? Yeah. I put him through the bench at Watford. Right. Yeah, he caught me. I went in for the ball, and he came in high, and he caught me in the kneecap with his studs. And I hyper-extended my leg. And I was out for about two or three weeks. Yeah. And um, I waited for, I think, Peter Shirtcliffe it was. And I waited a year. Yeah. And um, I told uh, Pat Rice knew. And I said, Rice, nobody touch him. He's mine. And I remember he went running out towards the sideline. I had no chance of getting the ball. And it was going out. And I hit him when he was about a yard from the line. And in those days, they didn't have the dugouts. They had, you know, the benches. And it yeah. was a sunny day, and there was about six people on the bench, you know, the physio yeah. and all. And he, I hit him, and he hit that bench so hard, everybody went flying. Like Skittles. And it was like, and it, the look on his face, and I could still see Graham Taylor turning away laughing, like, you know, because the worst case scenario, and I, he looked at me, your man shirtlift, and I said, that's a fucking start, you're going to get done. And he shit himself, we won the match easy. That was when the game was won. Bloody we won hell. the game in that one challenge. Yeah. And that was it, he didn't want to know after that. That was it. Yeah. Revenge, a dish best served cold. Oh, right? I. <laughs> yeah. I remember once, uh, I think you were there in Mauritius. There was yeah. an. Yeah, so, uh, and well, Derek Spence. Jo, jo, was it Joe Jordan? Joe Jordan? No, but I remember Joe Jordan was and there. Mick, uh, Big Mick Harford. Big Mick Harford. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And it, they squared up they in a friendly Jordan tournament. Jordan and Harford. A, a, a veterans friendly tournament. Yeah, but they were, I think well, they, were, they were in the same team. Yeah. They're on the same team as well. <laughs> I remember everyone going, who's going to win that one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was classic. Yeah. Wow. But also, Martin Chivers said on that, he said afterwards, uh, he said, Gordon McQueen, what a lovely fellow. He used to kick lumps out of me. I hated yeah. him all yeah. my career. But what, I've just got to know him now. Yeah. What a lovely fellow he was. Yeah, Chev was classic. He was fun. Yeah. And Derek Spence, I think, Derek was hilarious. He ended it? up in a in a in a big dustbin full of ice. Which yeah, it was it was yeah. right, it was a plastic container. Yeah, and he said he had piles, <laughs> and he said I'm an agony of piles. And this guy had, and we we the, the the guy had given us three and a half thousand bottles of beer for free. Yeah. It was a holiday. It was a it was a holiday island, a yeah. resort, yeah. mostly for honeymooners. Right. So the bar staff weren't used to staying up much past sort of ten yeah. o'clock at night. Yeah. And you had all these thirsty football ex footballers mostly, wasn't it? Yeah. Who wanted to stay up all night. So mm. the bar staff would just say, "Well, here's the keys. Help yourself." And it was yeah. But he put in this big <laughs> barrel. It was a big plastic barrel, and he filled it with ice and water. And he must have put. 200 bottles of beer into it and it was a it was a foreign beer but it was good beer it was all right and the lads Gary Shaw never left the bar for about 16 hours <laughs> Gary Shaw's head was down on the bar and he bottles all around him you know and it was brilliant that was the sort of thing in those days that was what footballers were yeah. sort of about and the yeah. camaraderie was brilliant oh the stories were unbelievable stories were class yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. but um, what was your song my friend, uh, big, the big strong man. Big strong man, that was the one. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard about the big strong man? <laughs> he lives in a caravan. Have you heard about the Jeffrey Johnson fight? 
Oh, what a hell of a fight. Well, you could take every heavyweight you got. We got a man who can beat the whole lot. He used to ring the bells in the belfry. And now he's going to fight Jack Dempsey. He's my brother, Sylvester. What you got? A row 40 medals on his chest, big chest. Killed 50 bobbin in the West. And he knows no rest. Bigger the man hails fire, don't push. Shove plenty of room for me. Got an arm, like a leg, and a punch that'll sink a battleship. Big ship takes all the army and the navy to put the wind up. Sylvest. Right. <laughs> Love it. There's, there's three more verses. I'll only give you the first one. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, I don't want to keep you here all night, but we, we, you've, certainly, you've certainly entertained us. Before we go, we always like to ask, so you played for Tottenham. I didn't realise that until today, but you played for Tottenham. You played for a lot of clubs, but Tottenham more than any other. Yep. And of course, we're, as I say, we're of a vintage where we remember you and we remember you very, very fondly. What did Tottenham Hotspur mean to you? It was my first club and it's always been my first club. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's the way it always is. And as a kid, I grew up supporting Leeds United. That was my team from when I was seven. And my first goal for Spurs was against Leeds at Allen Road. (laughs) And I think I did the team the following year. I scored again against them the following year. But no, Tottenham's always been my first club. It's the first result I look for every Saturday. Brilliant. And it'll always be that way. Never change. Brilliant. Well, that's Fantastic. a great note to finish up. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Armstrong. Jerry, Jerry, tell us about just what's the name of your book? Uh, it's the boys have got it there, but you can get it online. Um, at uh, I have a I've got a whiskey coming out that should have been out a year ago, but it's coming out in the next couple of weeks, which is called Spirit of '82. So it's uh, if you, Jerry Armstrong uh, Spirit of '82 website. You can get the book and the whiskey on that as of from tomorrow. Great. And uh, it's my my story, my journey. It's a good whiskey. It tastes very like Jamison because I like Jamison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There you go. Theo, Thanks a lot. Yeah, that is yeah. quite Derek something. Duncan. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I scored more goal, uh, World Cup goals than anybody else as well because Northern just Ireland. the way it worked out, you know. Yeah. With yeah. it was like you know world, they were all World Cup qualifiers. Yeah. I just loved playing in the World Cup. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. But um, that's the way it went. Thanks. Listen. Thanks everybody for coming along. Yeah. And just, Cheers, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.